You have any plant lovers? I got a couple. Okay, I'm not so much, I like looking at plants. I think plants are pretty. I love flowers. Uh, I like looking at uh, wild flowers and stuff like that. But I'm not running to Home Depot and I'm not buying a bunch of plants. I probably would end up killing them anyway. I don't really have a really good green thumb. But uh, some people really like them and I appreciate that. It, sounds, it seems like a really nice hobby to have. It's probably pretty relaxing. I know that they got these really cool hydroponic plants now. You can have them all over your wall and impress all your friends what you can, you can grow. Well, Kaylee Wilkes, she's a plant lover. She was real excited. She got a plant. She got a succulent. This is a picture of the plant. And it was a gift from one of her co-workers. She absolutely loved this plant. She said that she worked really hard to nurture this plant to protect this plant, to care for this plant. She even, she went get a little sponge and, and wa- wash the leaves. I don't know, I know, yeah. It's a serious plant lover. She washed the leaves, take really, really good care of it. She said, I was so proud of my plant, my succulent. It was full, it had a beautiful coloring. It was just over, overall a, a perfect plant. She had it up in her kitchen window. Invite her friends and be like, hey, check out my plant. This is my plant beautiful. I've been taking care of my plant. She had it up in the kitchen window. She actually had a plan written out how to water it. Now, that's some serious plan. If I'm going to box out any time in my life, it ain't to water a plant. I'm going to be scheduling some other stuff that I, that I can do. But she had a plan, which is, which is really nice. She said that if someone else tried to water the plant, she'd get really defensive because she just wanted to take care of the plant. So now we might be entering into a different problem, but we're not going to talk about that now. Anyway, she took care of the plant for two years. And the time came when what? The plant needed to be transplanted into a larger vase or pot or whatever it was. And she was real excited because she found a beautiful one. So there came the time. She starts digging it out, but then... She discovers something incredible. Do you know what she discovered? It was plastic. (laughs) Two years. I mean, I don't know. She might want to find another hobby. I'm not quite sure. She begins to take out the plant, and, and, and she sees styrofoam. And on top of the styrofoam is sand. That's all glued down. Now, she didn't catch on because succulents actually don't take a lot of water. So she's watering this thing, and probably, I'm guessing the styrofoam might absorb a little bit of the water. So she had no clue for two years she took care of a fake plant. She has since gotten some real succulents, purchased that the local home improvement store. So I'm glad to hear that she kind of fixed her problem. Everyone's going to run home today and check their plants, aren't they? They're like, wait a second, this one's been going way too long. See, I would know because my plants would probably die, but can you imagine that? Imagine pouring time and energy. I mean, this lady was really serious. She poured herself, literally, into this plant, and she took care of it, And all the while, it's a fake. In the physical world, for some people, not for this woman, that is somewhat easy to discern. That which is real and that which is fake. In the spiritual world, it's not so easy, is it? Not for us, at least. But there is someone who knows exactly what is happening beneath the surface. We pick up in the Gospel of John, as I said, at this point when Jesus has entered onto the public stage. And because he has entered onto the public stage, he is doing some wonderful things here, some marvelous things. As a matter of fact, I think when John talks about the, uh, the signs that they are observing in this passage, these are the signs and wonders and the miracles that are not written, that he said it would take Way too many books. It would fill all the books in the world if they had been written down. I think 
that's the signs and wonders that he is speaking about, especially, you know, that people probably heard that he's changing water into wine and he comes into the, the public arena and he tosses tables and he's challenging the authorities. He's causing a lot of excitement. People are impressed. Jesus is new to the scene and what he is saying is new. It's novel. And that attracts a following, a following of believers. But when we continue in this passage, we soon find out exactly what this belief is founded on. And we also see that appearances can be deceiving. They can be deceiving to us, but not to Jesus. We're going to find out in this passage that not all plants are real. As the Gospel of John centers on belief, he gives us a small section here and others to follow to reveal to us that not all faith is a saving faith. Instead, it's a superficial one. I tell you, I'm going to put a disclaimer out here. This is a hard passage to preach, and no matter what I say that follows, I come to a passage like this with the understanding that I stand here before you because of the grace of God, and that's all. But when we look at a passage like this, it is extremely important for us to see what John is saying to us, that there is this idea, there is this appearance of faith, but that there is something else going on beneath the surface. See two realities that we're going to be looking at in this passage. So the first reality, many claim to have trusted themselves to Jesus Christ. Verse 23, now when he was in Jerusalem, At the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs and wonders which he was doing. Short verse, this says a lot. This is a graph from 2016 of Christianity and how people identified with Christianity in the United States. Christianity in 2018, 2019, is the most prevalent religion in America. And at that point, 65% identify themselves as Christians. 2016 was 73%. So there's, there's been a slight decline. I'm not quite sure what the numbers are now. But in, in, in looking at this, This says that over half of the United States, in some form or fashion, and I know that they break these numbers down into other categories, but for this purpose and for argument's sake, over half of the United States identify themselves with Christianity and have some sort of relation or knowledge or understanding and identify themselves with the person of Jesus Christ, the person that that we've been talking about in this gospel. Christians who identify with that name. I guess we can say that many, the majority of people in the United States call themselves Christian. How many people believe that statistic? Anyone? Son, Jay? Okay. Good believers? This is an interesting statistic, isn't it? I'm going to guess the same reason that we, we have a, a hard time grasping that statistic is because if that statistic were true, what on earth is happening to our country, Right? I mean, if that were true, then this this country should be turned upside down in the name of Jesus. If that many people believe 
in his name. I look at that word many. So if we're, we're reading this, and maybe if we were hanging out with Jesus during this time, and we start seeing all of these individuals, what happens? We get excited. Hey, Jesus, you're doing a great job. Look at all these people following you. Isn't this great? We should, we should start this great marketing campaign. Maybe make some t-shirts. You know, so I'm with him. And points over there to Jesus. And you get encouraged when you read this. Jesus enters onto the public scene. He comes and he flips some tables. He, he challenges some authority. He has a group, a following, and it says many. Many. And I think about that word. And I look at that word, and, I, and sometimes it's used of people who believe, isn't it, in, in Scripture. When is it mostly used? Is not that word many mostly used to describe the opposite? Doesn't Jesus later on say, many are called, how many are chosen? Few. When he's talking about a gate, isn't that gate a narrow gate? And how many are on that, that road? How many are go through that gate? Few go through that gate. And then there's this road and there's this gate and it's a wide gate. It's a broad gate. And many are on it. I think one of the first things that we need to see here is, and given the context of this passage, I'm going to show you why I believe this, is crowds don't mean converts. Do they? Crowds don't mean converts. Matter of fact, we look at, we look at this word believe, and before that, we've got to understand something here. The, the interesting aspect is, you know, those individuals in the previous passage that challenge Jesus, they, they confront him. They have a problem with what he's doing. These individuals are not challenging Jesus, but they're not being changed by him either. And this is the danger. I'd rather have the individuals that confront come head on, let me know, I don't believe. This is where it gets difficult. We look at the word believe, and it's the same word that's used to talk about true faith in Jesus Christ. And John's going to be doing a play on words here, a play on that word believe here. But we have to remember that later on, James, the half-brother Jesus, is going to say what? Even the demons believe. Hey, you think God is one? Good. That's great. Even the demons believe and shudder. There is a belief that is an intellectual assent an acknowledgement of the person of Jesus Christ, a recognition, but it is not a saving faith. What is John doing here? What is he trying to get us to see? Well, look at what he tells us. Why are people believing in Jesus' name? Former pro soccer star Landon Donovan was the standard bearer of American soccer for more than a decade. When Donovan was growing up in California, he had a t-shirt. It read, soccer is life, the rest is just details. Recently, Donovan admitted that soccer just became his entire identity. He said, but in the last stage of his career, that identity started to crack from 2012-2013, Donovan struggled with depression. He watched his celebrity marriage disintegrate, and he took a four-month break from soccer. He says this, The pressure to perform and keep pleasing fans and coaches became too much. He said, Fans, coaches, and media want us to live, breathe, eat, and die soccer. He said, every game, they want you to go out and do everything you can to make them feel good, to make the coach feel successful, and to make the owners successful. He said, after the 06 World Cup, I realized it's just a business and fans are very fickle. 
He said, I was foolish enough to think that these people actually cared about me, that they actually loved me, that they genuinely liked me. He said, after the 06 World Cup, he said, fans said to him, you had a bad World Cup. We don't think you're cool anymore. He said, that for me was a very eye-opening experience and it made me very sad, but he also said he was thankful for it. It allowed me to wake up and to see the world differently for the first time. Fickle fans, superficial followers, notice why were they happy? Because he was doing what they wanted him to do. He was making them feel good. He was providing for them entertainment. He was satisfying them. And when he no longer did that, they said, sayonara. I don't want anything to do with you. Christianity has no shortage of such individuals who will follow Jesus and identify with Jesus because it's fun, because it's entertaining, because he is giving to them what they want. But as soon as that stops, as soon as it gets difficult, bye-bye, Jesus. I had enough of you. And as hard as that sounds, we need to hear that. Because we are in a culture of superficial believers. And I hope and pray, folks, that none are sitting here today. I hope and pray that we realize faith in Jesus Christ begins right here. Everything else is an added blessing. These are individuals that are responding to what Jesus is doing for them rather than who he is and what he wants to do in them. They're impressed. They're awed by his signs and wonders, but it stops there, and we know this because of what follows afterwards. They were glad that Jesus was confronting the authorities. He was stirring up trouble. He was... He was doing all of these wonderful signs. He was probably casting out demons. He's probably healing all the sick. All awesome things. And when people see this, Jesus comes onto the scene. It's novel for them. It's new. It's exciting. Hey, he's attracting a crowd. This is great. Look at all these wonderful things he's doing for us. And they begin to follow them, follow him. I want to say that the, the danger back then is the same danger that it is today. If we don't think that there are churches out there that are preaching a gospel that is not the real gospel of Jesus Christ, preaching a gospel of signs and wonders and accumulating crowds, we're mistaken. This is actually an advertisement, this picture right here. You can take this class for a fee. And in that class, you're going to learn how to manifest God's presence. Wouldn't that be great, right? You know, God at our, at our beckoning call, hey, God, we want you to do this for us. And there, there are churches across America that are doing this. And people are following or believing in Jesus. They're saying things like, if you follow Jesus, you believe in Jesus, you too can have this power to do this. There was a guy who wanted that power. His name was Simon. Wanted to pay money for that power, kind of like a course. The apostles wanted nothing to do with him. It is a faith, there's a faith out there that is based on excitement. It's a faith that is based on feelings. It is a faith that is based on power and control. 
It is a faith that centers on the byproducts, some of the byproducts of what Jesus can do for our life and puts it in the middle, puts it as the core belief. It's a faith that says, believe in Jesus, he'll give you money. Believe in Jesus, he'll give you new friends. He'll make you fit in. Believe in Jesus and he'll find, he'll find that husband and wife that you've been looking for. Believe in Jesus and he'll fix your marriage. Believe in Jesus and he'll give you that new job. Believe in Jesus and he'll make you feel good about yourself. Puts the byproducts of the faith as the gospel. It's believe in Jesus and he'll save your soul. It's believe in Jesus because we sinned against a holy, almighty God and Jesus took the penalty of that sin in his body. It's believe in Jesus because there is no other way to spend eternity in heaven except for him and what he's done for us. It's not believe in Jesus because he can change water into wine. It's believe in Jesus because he can take this heart of stone and change it into a heart of flesh. The gospel is about what Jesus has done for us and what he can do in us. And those of us who truly have accepted that sacrifice and believed in him, we can still have a fickle faith, can't we? We can be fickle followers. Just following Jesus when he's doing good things for us. When life is honky-dory. Everything's falling into place, but as soon as things get tougher, like, Jesus, why don't you just step out for a little bit? I got this. Treating him like a magician at a party. Taking him out when we want some entertainment. Taking him out when we want some fun. Taking him out when we want to feel good. It's not the gospel. It's not what faith is all about. Later on, these people are going to be weeded out. We're going to see it happen. Jesus is going to start to say hard things. And they're going to be like, I don't want anything to do with this guy. He's no fun anymore. This isn't what it's about. There's a commentator that says, uh, superficial faith has a high view of Jesus, but it's not high enough. I think he's a good guy. I think he's a prophet, which they're going to say. He's a leader. God's with him. He's a teacher, but he's not Lord and Savior. It's funny, when I worked at Long Creek, I had a lot of volunteers come in, and, and they were so sincere. Loved seeing them come in, volunteers for Christ, Christianity, for churches, local churches. We had, we had a bunch here um, that would do that, and ours were the exception. I'm just going to throw that out there ahead of time, so... But it was one of the hardest things to watch for me as a, as a Christian guard because they would get so excited about all the kids that would come to you. Brian knows. Brian knows exactly what I'm talking about. You get all excited. Oh, look at this. Great. Look at all these kids coming. So they do Bible study programs, and we had a chapel program, and then you had these individual programs. And I would see them, and I'd feel kind of bad for them. Because I knew, Brian knew, why these, why these kids were going. So the Bible study program, one, one Bible study, and it was a great program, but they brought in donuts. I mean, these guys never got donuts, not real ones like that. They got those stale, you know, you know those donuts. It's like, I'm not, am I eating donut or cardboard? And the, the one Bible study, we'd bring in donuts all the time. And I would be like, you know, I, I remember talking to Sarah about it. I'd be like, they just need to not bring in the donuts and see who comes. Because that's going to kind of weed out a whole bunch of people really fast. The chapel program, 
where everybody attended. Why did they attend? It was the only time, one of the only times that the guys and girls got to mingle together. So you know that place, that chapel was packed. And everyone's like, this is great. And I'm thinking, no, you have no idea. And then some of the volunteers that came in, except, of course, for ours that were here, because they did a great job. They were being manipulated to, to bring them in. So Brian knows exactly what I'm talking about. They were excited. They were following them. They, were, they would tell you anything. They would be, they would follow an alien and say, if you had an alien faith and religion, these kids would be like, I'm in as long as you're going to give me a donut. with a few exceptions. Some of the programs were a little bit worse and they would present a more palatable Jesus, one who was more concerned about their earthly needs than their heavenly destination. I think for us as a church, right, we, I can set myself on fire and jump from a helicopter. Am I going to get a crowd? Absolutely. Does anyone want to see that? Probably. I'm not going to ask you. We can get crowds of people, can't we? Only Jesus can change their hearts. And we have to understand that. And as we try to outreach this community, we, we got to understand what is going on in the heart of man from this passage that we don't know. Only Jesus does. And we need to ask ourselves too, why are we following him? Why are we following Jesus? Is because he's fun? Is he entertaining? Does he make us feel good? Does he give us all these wonderful things? It's a really hard question. We have to continually ask ourselves that. Do we like the show? Do we like what he does for us in this world? Are we concerned about the next just as well? Only you can answer that question. Oh, and somebody else. As long as these individuals satisfied, as long as the entertainment kept going, as long as the show was in town, people would follow him. Many claim Jesus' name, but few claim his death and resurrection for their sins. It is a faith that truly does not trust in Jesus, and because of that, Jesus doesn't trust in them. Second reality, Jesus knows not to entrust himself to them. So the first one, many claim, it is a professing faith. They make a claim to have trusted themselves to Jesus. Jesus knows not to entrust himself to them, verses 24 through 25. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them. For he knew all men. Because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Everyone knows this guy. Maybe you don't. Shaquille O'Neal. There are some doors, like the front gate to the White House, that are tough to walk through. The White House has one phalanx of security after another. I like that word phalanx. I think that means levels, right? Phalanx of security. One after another, and you simply cannot get in unless you are wanted, unless you are accepted, unless you have clearance, unless you have an appointment. Some people do get into the White House based on, our, on who they are or based on, what they, on who they know. On Sunday, July 26, 2009, Shaquille O'Neal tried to get into the White House without an appointment. He was on a TV show, and he was kind of touting this to the viewers. And he's like, what do you think if I showed up at the White House dressed in my suit, knowing who I am, knowing Barack Obama loves basketball? Do you think I can just kind of walk right into the White House? Hey, I'm in town. I want to see the president. And he throws the question out to those guys who are watching. He's like, does he get in? What do you guys think? Does he get in? Boom, rejected. I like how the commentator, the guy says, he says, just like Shaq rejects people coming to the net, he got rejected coming to the White House. They said, I am sorry, we cannot accept you at this time. This verse is really scary. 
just like Shaq and just like certain individuals are rejected at that gate, there is a faith that Jesus rejects. And it's a superficial one. I'll say to you the first time I said that to myself and read commentary, commentaries that, are, that say a similar thing, I thought that to be one of the scariest statements ever. Jesus says, uh-uh. I am not accepting you to me. I am not accepting that faith. I am not entrusting myself to you. I am not giving myself to you. I am not entering into relationship with you because I see exactly what is going on. I know the reason that you are following me. Many believe in Jesus. So there's a, there's a play on words going on here, and it can be kind of phrased in, in different ways where many believe in Jesus, he does not believe in that belief, or many trust in Jesus and he does not entrust himself to them. Why doesn't he entrust himself to them? Because he sees right through them. You know, it's interesting also at, at Long Creek, uh, the, the kids, so, so information and knowledge of an individual is power, especially in Long Creek. And the kids would come up to me, and I fell for it in the beginning, but after my 11 years there, I learned what their game was. Their game was for me, to, for them to come up to me, pretend that they like me, flatter me, oh, you're such a great correction officer, you do a great job, I don't like those other guys, you know, you're really cool, you know, those guys are weird, you know, I, and, and start talking to me, and start flattering me so that I can disclose information to them so that they can later on turn that information on me and use it to manipulate me to get what they want. Jesus is not giving himself to these individuals because he knows exactly what is going on in their hearts. He knows that they are fickle followers. He knows that at the first sign of trouble, these guys are going to say, I'm out of here. He knows that they are not following him for what he can do in them, but what he can do for them here and now. He sees it. I find it really interesting, the parable of the, the, the sower is a great example of every single thing that is going on here. When you look at the parable, so not only the parable, but the explanation that follows what happens, what Jesus does with his disciples is an illustration of what is happening here. So there are four types of soils or four types of places that the seeds land. And the first one we're, we're okay with, we understand, because it falls on the roadside, right? So it doesn't really go down. Nothing, nothing's coming up from that. And what happens is the birds come and they snatch that seed away and the birds represent Satan, the evil one. And he takes that word, whatever word has been tossed to that individual, and he just takes, he robs it from them. That's easy to see. It's the next two that really get us, isn't it? Just look at that rocky one. So the rocky one is a really interesting one because that, that is cast, that seed's cast, and it is, it's received. And how is it received? It's received with joy. And then it actually has some sign of growth, doesn't it? We see something there. But what happens? What is it that causes that plant to fail? Well, there's... No roots in it, but suffering and persecution come along. Jesus is fun for a time. He's exciting for a time. He makes me happy. You know, life is great. And then all of a sudden, persecution for his name suffering in their life comes along and they said, whoa, 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 wait a second, Jesus. I didn't sign up for this. this. 
This wasn't in the agreement. You promised me all these wonderful things. Everything was fun for a time. It was great. I'm hanging out with new people. I'm meeting new people. Have this great life. I feel like I'm being used. I'm doing all these wonderful things. And then, boom, this happens. And they're gone. Same thing with the thorns. See a little plant. Something's going on. Grows up. And what chokes it out is the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth. Wait a second, Jesus. You're not taking care of my needs anymore the way I want you to. I thought you were going to expand my kingdom. You're going to give me some money. And that's gone. The only one that is the Christian is the last one. It's the one that remains and it's the one that bears fruit. Just like James is going to argue in his book as well, isn't he? I know that we we can't see what's truly happening, but Jesus gives us a gauge. A good tree is going to bear good fruit. A true Christian is going to bear fruit in accordance with what has happened to the root. You have a root, you're going to bear fruit. What is really interesting after this is disciples ask him a question. Hey, Jesus, why on earth are you telling parables? And Jesus says, to you it has been entrusted. It has been granted. It has been given to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. Jesus is disclosing himself. He discloses those mysteries to him. And he says, whoever has, more will be given. And that in abundance and whatever someone thinks they have is going to be what? Taken away. And then afterwards, he explains the parable to the disciples. He does what he does not do here with these individuals. He discloses himself. He reveals himself. He entrusts himself. He enters into that relationship with them. With those individuals, he gives them nothing because they don't trust in him. He sees right to their souls. And here, folks, we have literally the heart of the gospel. Jesus absolutely knows every single person in this room today. And he knows every single individual that is not in this room today. He sees right through their souls. He knows all of our thoughts. He knows our thoughts before we even think them. He knows our desires He knows our goals. He knows our real goals, not the ones that we put on for other people to see. He knows our actions. And he knows in what or in whom we have trusted. He knows it. We can't hide it from him. What John is doing here is also revealing to us, again, who he is, right? Because only God is omniscient. He's revealing to us two things, the deity of Jesus Christ and the absolute depravity of humankind. Jesus sees what's in our hearts, he's, what's in, the, in man. He knows that man is fickle. He knows why these individuals are following him. And it is the heart of man. It is what is in man, not what is outside. It's not that our bodies need to be healed. It's our souls need to be saved. And Jesus is the only one that can do that. And that is, part, that is an essential aspect of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's one that this world doesn't want to hear. This world doesn't want to hear that we are the problem that the problem is inside of us and that is reflected in people's response to Jesus Christ. It was funny, I was listening to a guy who was doing some training. This was years ago at a, at a ministry that I was involved with. 
and he's talking about the gospel. And he, he, he was a businessman. He's presenting the gospel to another businessman. And he says, says to this guy, he goes, how righteous are you? How righteous? Have you ever been asked that question? How righteous are you? I've never had that. I give a percentage. A guy, you know, I guess in all honesty, as best as he can, he's like, ah, I think I'm about 60% righteous. That's pretty good. Hey, you always want to kind of go over 50, right? Because once you go under 50, you're kind of like, ah, you got a problem. It's 60% righteous, right? So then, then the guy presenting the gospel says, well, think about it this way. It's like a business transaction. Jesus makes up the other 40%. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, that's great. As long as I'm still on that upper end, right? Because if I need more of Jesus than I have to offer, I, I kind of don't want that. Is that the gospel? That Jesus makes up where we are deficient in our righteousness? No way. We're in, we're in debt, folks. We, we owe something that we can't pay. And we need his righteousness imputed to us as a gift. The heart of man, as Jeremiah 17.9 says, is first what? Deceitful. I like this little cartoon. You know, those people who say, follow your heart. Don't do that. Please don't ever do that. Follow Jesus. Follow what Jesus says. Follow what Jesus says about your heart. It's first deceitful. It tries to trick us. It can trick us. Mine tries to trick me all the time. Still, even as a regenerate, born-again believer, my heart tricks me every day. It is desperately wicked. It's not, it's not a little bit sick. It is desperately wicked. Another version says it is excessively corrupt. Is this the heart that is being presented in our world today? And who can understand it? Nobody can understand it. You can't understand it. I, I can't understand it. I have a hard time understanding my heart. Therapists can't understand it. Doctors can't understand it. Teachers can't understand it. Jesus can. He diagnoses the problem and he offers the only solution. Matthew 15, 18 through 19 says, What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This is what defiles us. What comes out of the heart? Evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, and slander. A lot of good stuff. If you don't believe those verses, if we don't believe the depravity of man, maybe this illustration will help. Deborah Stevens dialed 911 after her car was caught in a rapidly rising floodwaters. In a panic, Stevens was having some difficulty communicating her location to Donna Renault, the dispatch worker who took the call. Nevertheless, according to the audio transcript, the audio in the transcript, Renault, the 911 operator, was at several points neither professional nor compassionate in her demeanor. So she's talking to a woman who is caught in rising floodwaters. She's about to drown. So Stevens was trying to explain how she ended up in this predicament. She said, I didn't see the hazard. Renault, the operator, responds, I don't know how you don't see that. This is a 911 operator. This is a woman who is supposed to be offering comfort and compassion and calmness to help this individual. Stevens, the individual in trouble, told Renault that she could see onlookers from nearby apartment balconies. Renault said, a lot of people aren't going to put themselves in danger just because you did. Then Stevens began to panic and was yelling a little bit. And Renault told her, Miss Debbie, you're going to have to shut up. She died. And the 911 operator, the last conversation she had with a human being on this earth, 
treated her rudely and extremely insensitive. What's really interesting is that Renault had received an award as Operator of the Year just a few months before this, her final shift that was supposed to end her tenure. One individual said she's a good and decent human being. It's a shame she had to end this way. I'm going to tell you, there is no good and decent human being. And what was revealed came out. And what was revealed was what was in her heart. All awards aside, I know that there are individuals who have those intentions and people are, can do good things. None of us are good. It's one of the hardest aspects of Christianity, but one of the most important ones as well. Jesus knows our hearts, the fickleness of our hearts and the fallenness of our hearts. He sees where our belief lies. He knows if we are just following him for the fringe benefits. The question is not if he knows. The question is, do we? Later, Paul's going to challenge the Corinthian church, and rightfully so. Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Why? Because he's seeing behaviors that don't line up. He's wondering what's going on. One of the most important tests that you and I are ever going to take. Do we see a change? We have evidence of our faith. We bearing fruit. And self-examination, something we have to continually do because our hearts are deceitful. It can trick us. Even though we're regenerated, that nature still likes to sneak up, doesn't it, and get its way. Jesus doesn't need anyone to come alongside him and be like, hey, here's what's in the heart of man. He sees it all. He doesn't need anyone to testify concerning man. This is a scary verse, but there's, this is hope because there's time to what? Change, right? Isn't there? There's another verse that's much more scarier Later on, Jesus is going to be talking and he says, Many, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, 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 did not we do these things in your name? In your name. And he's going to say, no idea who you are. And reject them. For all eternity, no turning back at that point. I'm a little, I was a little hesitant to, to end with this illustration that I'm about to end on. But I believe given the, the grave nature of salvation and faith and what is at stake and how deceitful our hearts can be, that it is absolutely necessary Ravi Zacharias was my hero. As he was to many in this country and around the world. He was one of the most renowned Christian apologists of our times. I actually wanted to work for his ministry when I first became a Christian. I loved him. Followed him, listened to him. He had a following of millions. His ministry has touched lives across the globe. He's ministered to the hurting. He's ministered to many atheists. He's brought many people to faith in Jesus Christ. He spoke the truth of the gospel. He spoke of the necessity of the life of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And when I heard the news, I didn't believe it. 
And it was later confirmed. As Ravi Zacharias preached, as he preached on forgiveness, as he preached on salvation, on grace, on love and purity, he was a sexual predator. As one blogger writes, Ravi was purposely intending to do these things. He was living a life of secrecy, living a life of abuse, a life of manipulation, and a life of duplicity. Ravi used his position, and he used God's name to gain control over women and have them satisfy his worldly desires. Ravi had many of us fooled, myself included. Not everyone. Jesus isn't fooled by our superficial faith. I have no idea where Ravi is. Only Jesus knows that for sure. I am sure that Ravi was led astray by his heart, a deceitful heart. And on the surface, if there was anyone in the world that I would say is one of the firmest believers in Jesus Christ, it would have been Ravi Zacharias. I actually question that now. And it hurts to do that. Hurts to wonder. It's an important lesson for all of us. Necessity of accountability for every single one of us out there. And the treachery of a man's heart. Things aren't always as they appear to be, folks. There are a lot of fake plants out there. But Jesus isn't fooled like we are. He knows exactly why we have attached ourselves to him and his name. The question is, do we? Heavenly Father, It is only by your grace that we stand here and continue to do so. Help us never to forget that. Reveal to us our own hearts, Lord. Lord, and if there be anyone that is listening today that has a superficial faith, I pray that you change it into a supernatural one. We love you. We praise you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.